when we first start a retreat, whether it's a short retreat or a longer retreat, it's not unusual to experience what the Buddha calls these five difficult mind states or the five hindrances. And I have a feeling that most people in this room are aware of these five difficult states of mind, not only from your direct experience, but also from your practice. And these five difficult states that arise in the beginning, primarily in the beginning of our retreat, are this desire for sensual pleasure. Uh, the opposite to that is aversion. The other, two, other pair is uh, sloth and torpor. And I know you are familiar with these as I say them. The opposite of that is restlessness and worry. And the fifth one is doubt. And tonight I want to focus primarily on the sloth and torpor and the restlessness and worry. The reason is because I find that when I give a talk about the five hindrances, there's so much to say about all of them that I have to go pretty quickly through them. And I wanted to focus a little bit more on these two because they're such a, um, we, we, we know these so well, and yet we may not have many tools to really either understand them or work with them. So I wanted to go, go into them a little bit more deeply. Um, one of the aspects of right mindfulness is to actually reflect on the causes of some of the conditions that arise in our mind and our heart and our body, and then to know how to overcome them so that we're not continually caught in these repetitive, these habitual tendencies of our mind and body. So when we, when we talk about the hindrances, the, 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 the Pali word is translated as covered over. So when we talk about a hindrance, when we're experiencing a hindrance, something is covered over. And my experience, what gets covered over is, is, the, is the consciousness, is the capacity to clearly know or clearly see our experience. It's like there's a, something in the way we're impeded or hindered in some way to be fully in contact with our experience. So we want to understand this um, condition of mind that is covered over so that we can uncover this uh, a clarity of our mind so we can see clearly what's happening in our experience. I want to read the similes um, in the uh, Anguttara Nikaya about these five conditions of mind. Um, and I like reading, I, I like reading uh, from the Buddha's words anyhow, and I really love these uh, similes that the Buddha uses. And I found in the reading of the Buddha's words that his similes are always so um, specific in a way to pointing to the condition that we're examining. And so I, I'll, I'll read these to you. So the Buddha says, 
Suppose there is a bowl of water mixed with lac, turmeric, blue dye, and crimson, crimson dye. And lac is kind of an organic varnish. I looked that up. I know, what's lac? So lac, turmeric, blue dye, or crimson dye. If a man with good sight were to examine his own facial reflection in it, he would neither know nor see it as it really is. So too, when one dwells with a mind oppressed by sensual lust, this desire for sensual pleasure, on that occasion one neither knows nor sees as it really is for one's own good or the good of others or the good of both. And this one's for ill will. Suppose there is a bowl of water being heated over a fire, bubbling and boiling. If a man with good sight were to examine his own facial reflection in it, he would neither know nor see it as it actually is. So too, when one dwells with a mind oppressed by ill will or aversion, on that occasion one neither knows nor sees as it really is for one's own good or the good of others or the good of both. This one's for the sloth and torpor. Suppose there is a bowl of water covered over with plants and algae. If a woman with good sight were to examine her own facial reflection in it, she would neither know nor see it as it actually is. So too, when one dwells with a mind oppressed by sloth and torpor, on that occasion one neither knows nor sees as it really is for one's own good or the good of others or the good of both. This one's for restlessness and worry. Suppose there is a bowl of water stirred by the wind, rippling, swirling, churned into wavelets. If a woman with good sight were to examine her own facial reflection in it, she would neither know nor see it as it really is. So too, when one dwells with a mind oppressed by restlessness and worry, on that occasion, one neither knows nor sees as it really is for one's own good, for the good of others, or the good of both. And for doubt, suppose there is a bowl of water that is turpid, unsettled, muddy, placed in the dark. Isn't that good? Placed in the dark. If a man, if a man with good sight were to examine his own facial reflection in it, he would neither know nor see it as it really is. So too, when one dwells with a mind oppressed by doubt, on that occasion one neither knows nor sees as it really is for one's own good or the good of others or the good of both. And I like how the Buddha uh, has this part of the refrain as for one's own good or the good of others or the good of both, really for this, uh, the deepening into our own innate goodness so that we can see more clearly, we can see what's true. So when we come to practice, when we come to meditation, we actually work with these difficult mind states so that we are not oppressed by them, we're not hindered by them. And they're very specific ways of working with them, these antidotes that, that Guy mentioned that we can work with. So I want to go into the um, sloth and torpor. It's just fun to say that, sloth and torpor. 
and the restlessness and worry and just see what we can discover about our own experience. And I, I imagine that many of you know these experiences. Maybe you've even had a number of occasions over the last few days to experience these two, uh, these two particular conditions of mind and body. So what is sloth and torpor, this hindrance? And when I say that, I, I, I know that I don't even have to tell you, you probably know it intimately. Um, this sleepiness, this kind of laziness, uh, uh, lethargy, this dullness, this uh, heaviness, uh, where we just feel pulled down and sinking. And, and it's so difficult to stay awake, to, to, to have any alertness of mind. We feel a lack of energy, this loss of our energy. And it, we can even experience this in a, 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 a different way as boredom. Boredom can also be an aspect of sloth and torpor. We're, we're asked to stay present in our sloth and torpor because even the intention to stay awake, the intention to want to connect with a sense of presence will support the deepening of our concentration and our mindfulness. And this leads to a deepening of insight. And it is important primarily to pay attention to this aspect of sleepiness because of the main reason that human beings have a general habit of cutting off from their experience, from our experience. This is, this is the, the difficult condition of being a human being. It's very difficult to stay connected to our, our experience and to what's true in our experience. And we cut off in three ways. We cut off through the, the greed, this, this, this grasping, this desire. We cut off from when we're caught up in our aversion, our pushing away, our ill will. And we're cut off when we're caught in our confusion and our delusion. And all three of these are indicators of a kind of sleep where we go to sleep on ourselves. We, we, we go into, Joseph mentioned this kind of sleep walking in our life. We're not really here. So we want to look at this uh, deeper kind of cutting off where we actually manifest a sleep or this tiredness or this kind of uh, lethargy in our mind because it is it can be a way that we're cutting off but not necessarily so i want to talk about four possible possible causes of this sloth and torpor when it arises because i think sometimes what happens is that we so easily judge our experience that we're not supposed to be falling asleep you know we're not supposed to be uh, tired and we have strong ideas and expectations in our practice but I think when we actually consider the different possibilities of what can bring about this sleepiness perhaps we may not judge ourselves so much I mean one of the first possible causes is that we simply have a physical need you know, we don't, we didn't get enough sleep, we haven't had enough rest. 
Our life has been too busy, too stressful. Our body needs rest. We might have some kind of a physical condition, an illness, or we might be getting sick or tired. And sometimes because we have this judgment of ourselves and our experience, we can kind of try to push through with aversion or, or this kind of ideation about what our meditation is supposed to look like and not really pay attention, not really be listening more deeply to what, what is it that we need. Because there may be a way that we do push too hard and we don't pay enough attention to our physical needs. And so it's important to actually pay attention and see what's actually going on there. In the beginning of a retreat, it's not unusual for, and it happens many times, where people come in and they basically collapse. You know, they spend the first couple of days very tired and needing a lot of rest because they're, they're, they have pushed themselves too much or there has been too much stress or emotional uh, demands and that sort of thing. And, and so it's, it's important to pay attention to this, uh, certainly continue to work with it as I'll speak about, but to understand what might be happening. And if there is a way that we push too much in our lives or we're not really listening carefully enough, this is, this, this is something to, to understand about ourselves, that we do this so maybe we can change it. So one of the possibilities is this physical need. The second is, is that for many people, we just have a strong habit, a strong tendency of mind to shut off from our experience. It's kind of a way that we, we, get def we defend ourselves against the pain in our lives or the pain that we're feeling. And so there's a way we can habitually uh, split off or separate from our experience so that it's a kind of denial or a way we pretend that nothing's really going on. We lose touch. We lose connection. And so, so it's a way we, we're just not really fully here with ourselves. And we can just lose so much connection that we just kind of fall asleep, particularly when there's not much stimulation or not much going on. When we repeatedly cut off from ourselves, this can kind of lead to a numbness of our nervous system, which can feel like a dull coating over our experience. It's almost like we can't really feel. That we may even have, feel like there's a kind of padding between us and our experience, between our, our, our awareness and what's really happening, that we just, we're not, we really can't access the deeper currents of our experience. And this can be experienced as a dullness or a lethargy in our experience. Hamid Ali, uh, Sally mentioned him the other night, one of my teachers um, says that this is a kind of thickening of our consciousness, the way that not only do we experience a dullness, uh, uh, this kind of um, dull coating over our experience, but it's a kind of thickening in the consciousness. And he says that this thickening cuts us off 
from our intimacy with ourselves and everything else. It cuts off the warmth of being ourselves. Cuts off the warmth of being ourselves. So we might even feel a kind of uh, a coolness or a coldness. We don't feel the, the warmth of the, of the emotional life or the feeling life as life moves through us. So it may be this, it may be some kind of habit where we just don't really feel and we can experience it as a dullness. The third uh, possibility is that we might just be caught in some kind of resistance to something that is arising that we don't want to attend to. So this could be actually some kind of physical uh, sensation that's painful and we, kind of, we want to pull away from it, we don't want to feel it, we want to separate from it, or some kind of emotional uh, uh, issue or feeling that's arising and again we pull away from it. And again, this resistance can again cause a kind of dulling or a sleepiness in our experience where we again don't really want to be here. And if we are able to stay more connected, more present, stay awake and connected, we actually may start to discover some underlying fear or maybe loneliness or sorrow or some kind of loss or grief, hurt or anger. And sometimes, you know, we want to. This is, many of us, we don't have very good relationships with these kinds of emotions. And so we want to move away and we can easily go to sleep. This is hap I've noticed this. I've seen this in my own experience. The fourth possibility that would be, could be happening, again, is just really from the simple rhythms of the day. And I, this sounds so obvious, and yet I remember when I was practicing in the early days, I really thought that I shouldn't be sleepy through the day. And at some point, it did occur to me that, of course, there are rhythms that sometimes I'm more awake, sometimes I'm more tired through the day. And even in my daily life, this is true. You know, I have a certain time of day, four o'clock in the day, where I'm, I'm more tired. And I'm I'm, I have much more energy in the morning. Some people are much more awake at night and not so awake in the morning. I mean, we all have our own natural rhythms. And this is going to be true on retreat as well, that we'll find that. And so we want to honor this, pay attention to this. And, and primarily, we don't want to judge it. We don't want to resist the arising of these experiences when they come. We just want to understand them see what's going on, and then, and then I'll, as I said, I'll speak about ways to work with them. When we get sleepy in the day, we notice that the, my, our mind starts to sink, we, the energy starts becoming weak, and the objects in our awareness become more faint, and we may start to have more dream images, we start to get, get more floaty in the, the dream states, and then at some point we just start to to nod out, we fall asleep. This is natural. And the, we want to begin to work with this, to uh, apply some intention so that we can stay more awake, stay more connected, 
when this happens. Not through forcing, not through pushing, just through understanding. And I just want to mention one more, and I'll, then I'll talk about some of the antidotes. Because even when our practice is going smoothly, we've established a certain uh, quality of concentration in our practice. We've mentioned this. We've mentioned this uh, in the morning instructions where the mind can become uh, the factor of tranquility and calm can become stronger than the energy factor. And, and so when we become more concentrated and we could become relaxed and calm and tranquil, which is what happens as the concentration gets stronger, the mind can start to sink into that tranquility, but we don't have enough energy to keep the mind alert to be attending to the changing nature of our experience. We're just kind of in this very pleasant, sweet, tranquil state. And the difficulty is that it is really pleasant. It's very uh, lovely, actually. It's very lovely to feel so deeply relaxed and calm. But it's not, a, it's not balanced. So we're not really able to continue to attend and investigate into the nature of things. And so we again need to work with balancing and bringing up the energy. This is the, classically called the sinking mind when the mind sinks. And then, and then if we're not really working with it, we could start to just, again, drift out, go into the dream states, and then get more tired and fall asleep. So even with this, when it's very lovely like this, when there's a very pleasant kind of drifty, uh, uh, soft feeling, uh, it's, again, we, we, we need to find our motivation motivation to want to raise the energy or we'll just we can stay in this state for a fairly long time but it's not actually so useful it's not so helpful so the main antidote to working with this sloth and torpor as the hindrance is to arouse energy because basically the energy factor is weak and so we can do things to actually bring about more energy in our practice the primary thing is the intention or the willingness, actually asking our question, ourselves the question, am I willing to bring about more, more energy? Am I, am I interested to, to bring about more alertness? Because it can, it can feel good. It can feel really good to just sort of drift into this, this state if we're not judging it and resisting it. This intention itself, the intention to bring about energy itself lifts the mind, lifts the energy. The intention has power. That intention itself, just that directing uh, our attention, aiming our attention, and in this case, we can aim our attention at the breath to feel the sensations of the breath as we're breathing in, breathing out. We can... Um, uh, bring our attention to the body, ground ourselves more fully into the body, bring in this quality of attention awareness to what's happening in our experience, really finding out what's it like to be sleepy, what's it feel like, what's happening. So we begin to bring the factor of investigation as well, and this brings energy. We can note the noting 
brings energy. Uh, again, having to use about 5% of the conceptual mind, just naming sleepy, sleepy, or breathing in, breathing out. Um, but again, really feeling what's happening in the experience. We can sit up straighter, uh, open the eyes, take deeper breaths, put the hands on top of the head, stand up. You know, you can do standing meditation, all these things to help lift the energy. But I know from experience, sometimes we can be so tired that there isn't even energy to open the eyes. I know you've had this experience. It's, you know that it's helpful to open the eyes and that will help. But it's like, <laughs> that is even too much. But the, again, the intention is so helpful. Just that willingness, that interest to begin to aim the attention at the subject of our experience. And this is helpful. But primarily, I think we uh, really need to work with the resistance. And I know for myself, uh, there were, it, it took me a long time to get over the judgment of myself that I uh, was when I was tired, that I shouldn't be so tired, that I shouldn't be so sleepy. Sometimes for me, when I would start a retreat, it could be two, it could be three, four, even five days sometimes where I'd be really, really tired. And I'd have a lot of judgment about that. And so getting over the judgment and the averse, aversiveness is a, is a big part of working with the hindrances. So the more that we can uh, include the aversion in our awareness, include the judgment in our awareness, so we're not feeding that. That's not fueling our experience. Because as you know, the more that we feed the aversion and the judgment, that just makes us more tired. You know, it's exhausting to get caught up in that. So we want to really attend to uh, that, that relationship, that attitude of our mind when we're experiencing this. When I was uh, in my early days of practice, I did a 10-day um, retreat with uh, Sayada Upandita. And we, were, we were sitting in Hawaii. I think most of these, these folks were actually there some years ago. And um, uh, Sayada Upandita is uh, a, a pretty strong teacher and has strong ideas about how we need to be practicing. And one of the encouragements, I was going to say suggestions, but it's more um, one of the encouragements was to sleep for four hours a night. And this was expected, actually, you know, that we would uh, uh, sleep for four hours and practice for 20 hours so that we were really using our time well. And I was staying in a room with three other women uh, with two other women, actually, I was the third. And um, I remember uh, this, this one woman setting her alarm, you know, like at uh, two in the morning. <laughs> and she was in the room with a woman who she brought along on the retreat. And she clearly was this woman's um, coach or, you know, cheerleader. And I remember when the clock went off at 2 in the morning, she would jump up, and then she would go to this woman's bed, and she would shake her, you know, and say, it's time to get up, time to get up. 
And, and I remember just kind of lying bad, you know, after four hours of sleep and just not knowing whether I could do it. Just could I, can I get up, can I get up? And I, I usually would stay in bed maybe half an hour longer, or maybe sometimes an hour longer, so I'd get five hours of sleep, which I thought was pretty good. And then I would experience a tremendous amount of sleepiness while I was going through the day. And I had to really work with my resistance to it, my judgment around it. But I actually wound up learning from that retreat how to change my relationship to my body, to my mind. And I found that, that by really using this intentionality to stay connected to my experience, in this case, primarily with my breathing, just really bring my attention down to my breath and feel this, the felt sense of the in and the out and the in and out, even when I was very tired, that I got to a place where I was feeling this sweetness, this kind of very sweet feeling of the deep rest that was happening. And I, and I think that the, the sweetness came from that quality of presence and the absence of the aversion. And just this kind of very soft, sweet rhythm uh, being present in the tiredness. And now, and this was some many, many years ago, now I find that the, when I'm tired, I would prefer to go into meditation rather than lie down because I can go into a deeper rest. It's actually, I found that by staying present and staying connected, even in deep states of tiredness, it's more profound and it's more deeply uh, nourishing. And that was one of my favorite experiences, actually, is to go into that, that, it's so sweet. It's just, it's one of my most pleasant experiences when I'm not able to really overcome and really lift the mind back up into alertness, but just to stay with myself in that very kind and soft and um, connected way is so nourishing. It's so recharging. So um, I, I, I'm very surprised that, that uh, through that very difficult retreat, <laughs> Something so very profound and that, that kind of learning came from it. So we can work with this. We can work with it because this kind of intention really does bring about the support for the deepening of our practice. Because otherwise we're really getting caught in our habitual responses and our habitual ways of being. And we may not really be looking more deeply into what are the some of the causes. Am I resisting? Am I cutting off? Is there a habit here of not really feeling? Am I just caught in my dullness? Am I, am I just drifting off? Am I getting caught up? We can explore this. And there's so much that we can learn from it. So this is the sloth and torpor. Its opposite is the restlessness. Restlessness and worry. One, not an, uh, the loss of the energy, the other, too much energy, right? One extreme and the other extreme. In Pali, um, the word udaka, which is the word for restlessness, it literally is translated as to shake, to shake. 
And it really is, this restlessness is a state of agitation uh, and overexcitement. Mm -hmm. We just really get, we're, we're in this state of agitation. It can be both in the body and in the mind. It's a kind of uh, quality of agitation or anxiety, worry, frustration, edginess, irritability. And as a hindrance is compounded with aversion, it's actually very similar. Restlessness is very similar to aversion, but it's more energetic. It has actually a shake. This is an interesting translation, this shaking. We feel like we're shaking when we're sensitive to it. It's a very complex mind state because it involves our thoughts, our feelings, our sensations. And the mind, the mind is scattered, unfocused, unable to rest. The mind is moving into the past and the future. And we can go for hours over the same thing again and again, or we can be trying to figure things out or analyze things, find some kind of uh, uh, a solution to a problem. And the mind is moving. Um, the Buddha used a simile of being like a, a fish flapping on the shore, you know, out of its element, just flapping, you know, trying to get somewhere, but this uh, very unsatisfied feeling. In the body, we can be very physically agitated, nervous, unsteady. If we're sensitive, we can feel a lot of uh, unsteadiness in our belly in the lower part of our body, this shakiness. It's a very, very uh, unpleasant experience, very, very difficult to be with. Uh, one time when I was sitting a three-month course in the earlier years, I got very, very concentrated. It was about six weeks into the retreat. I was experiencing a lot of concentration, and just this, this restless feeling just started to arise in my body. It lasted for about a week. And it was like I had insects crawling underneath my skin. And there was just this agitated feeling uh, through my body that was just so difficult to be with. And I know that I was supposed to be working with the aversion uh, watching the aversion so that I wouldn't be compounding the experience through my mind because the experience really was through my body. But it was, it was, it was so hard to stay with. It was just, but I, there was nothing I could do. There was nowhere I could go. I couldn't get away. And it just kept going and going and going. And I had to really trust that there was some kind of a purification going on. I don't know why else this would have come up in the way that it did in this deep state of concentration, but it was so, so unpleasant. And so we don't really know all the time what the causes and the conditions are for this arising, but when it arises, it's very, very hard to be with. But I want to point out that the antidote to restlessness and worry is full enlightenment. <laughs> so that's the only way <laughs> to really extinguish this hindrance, or it's not really a hindrance at these higher states, but it's still running through the system. It's very, very deep, very, very deep-rooted. 
So I say that to encourage you <laughs> so that perhaps you won't get so caught up in the judgment and uh, towards yourself when it arises. It, it, the restlessness is there in the very high stages of enlightenment and it only goes away uh, along with two other um, strong patterns of mind uh, which are conceit and ignorance. So, so we're going to be with those for a while. <laughs> this kind of pride, you know, this pride, pride, restlessness, and um, ignorance. So we want to get to know them <laughs> and, and actually start to befriend them so that we're not caught in so much resistance. Again, um, Hamid describes restlessness as a contraction of the nervous system. And you know, we, we can, I, 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 I like talking about this because we, we can so easily judge ourselves for what we're experiencing, and yet these uh, conditions have very deep roots in our conditioning, and particularly restlessness. That's why it's one of the last uh, uh, fetters to go in our experience. Hamid Ali says, it is the specific feeling of suffering. It is not just pain or anger or fear. It is emotional suffering in its purest form. It is the suffering at the core of all human pains. Yeah. And as we get sensitive, we really start to feel this restlessness, this inner kind of anxiety in different ways. For myself, I actually, as I become more aware and more connected and more freed up of a lot of the other issues that have, I've been burdened by, I actually feel more restlessness. I feel more of the, uh, the deeper layers, the more subtle layers of the anxiety that are running through my system. And so in some ways, we're peeling back the layers of our uh, of our fear and our uh, uh, issues, the emotional, different emotional issues that we are carried, uh, we carry with us and we're burdened by. And then more and more we go to the more subtle levels of our, of our being and more gets revealed, more gets seen. And so this is particularly true with restlessness, which is experienced as a kind of anxiety or shakiness. There are a number of uh, causes uh, th that give rise to this kind of these this diff these different experiences of restlessness. I want to name them. Um, the first one, really, maybe maybe many of us have examined this or looked at this one, but most people, many people, are really caught up in constant activity in their lives. There's this sort of incessant busyness and, and multitasking and, and doing lots of things. And in some ways, I think that this is, a, in some ways, a discharge of this restlessness because it's, for a lot of people, it's very hard just to sit and be still and be quiet and, 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 and do more of nothing, 
you know, come more into this, to the stillness and the silence. And, and so sometimes some of that busyness, this constancy of our activity can be a feeding of this restlessness and a, and a kind of a running away from the restlessness. If this, and so, so it's a kind of a vicious cycle in a way. And so, and, and then sometimes it's uh, uh, supported by caffeine, you know, and chocolate and, and all these, I mean, it's no wonder that a lot of people feel so restless. So it can be a way that we are in our lives, this inability to stop and slow down, which is, a, of course, one reason why retreats are so invaluable, where we really can stop and, and slow down and see what's really going on. What are some of these tendencies of mind? The second cause has to do uh, with when our life is out of alignment with our deeper values, when we're actually acting in ways that are causing harm to ourselves or to others, or primarily when we break the precepts, when we live in a way where we're not following these precepts that we, we are taking on here. Uh, this is one reason why the precepts are the foundation of B Buddhist practice. That it's said that anyone who calls themselves a Buddhist is practicing these five precepts. Because living with these five precepts actually helps the mind to settle down. Because when we break the precepts, when we are killing or stealing or, or involved in sexual misconduct or wrong speech or uh, taking intoxicants that cloud our mind, that disturb our, our awareness, we, 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 we get more restless, we get more agitated. And so, so by following the precepts, it's a huge support to the, the restfulness of our mind and the settling of the re restlessness and the worry. Sometimes when we come to retreats and we slow down, we actually start to remember. We have memories of some of the things that we've done that have brought pain to ourselves or another person, ways we've harmed through our speech or our actions. And we start to feel some of the remorse and the regret. And this may actually begin to heal some of the deeper uh, uh, anxieties or ways we feel unsettled in ourselves as we allow, allow, make space for these memories to arise as they do when we come on retreat. One time in my early years of practice, I had ended a, a, a long relationship uh, uh, two years before I came to the retreat. And yet because at that time I wasn't th that connected to uh, myself and uh, was able to reflect very deeply on my actions. When I started sitting the three-month retreat, all of this came back. You know, it was two years later and I just I spent a, a few weeks really starting to feel the remorse of what I had done and things that I had said. And it was a very, very powerful healing for me to be able to make room for that to arise because when it's hidden, when it's unconscious, it's going to affect the nervous system in some way. And so that's one of the ways in this practice that this, uh, the path is a path of purification. Because we make space for 
these memories to come and then to be released, to be let go of, so that we don't have to carry the burdens of our past. We don't have to be burdened by our past. This is part of the transformation. It's also why we work with forgiveness practice and loving kindness practice, uh, the other Brahma Viharas, compassion and joy, equanimity, this healing of the heart, which is so important for us to come into deeper states of rest and calm and tranquility. So our, that's the second cause, the mor- our, our relationship to our morality and the way we live our life. The third, another uh, cause for the restlessness to arise uh, can be our inability to sit with discomfort and our resistance to unpleasant experience, to uncomfortable experience, whether it's emotional or physical, is a way we don't really want to feel. We don't want to know what's going on. So it could be simply pain, you know, pain in our knee, pain in our back, pain in the neck, where we just, we get fidgety, we get restless. It's hard to sit, hard to sit still. We want to move, we want to get up, we want to go out. And by continuing that kind of fidgeting and that movement, we're actually feeding the restlessness unless we begin to give a little bit more attention to what's going on. And I'll speak about the the antidotes to to this as well. One time when I was uh, sitting a retreat, I noticed that my mind was really drifting into stories and I didn't really want to be here. And as much as I kind of went back to the breath, I would just bounce right back into another scenario of the past or the future and I'd keep getting lost. And and I, I knew there's something was going on that I didn't really want to be with. And so I asked myself the question, is, well, I asked what's going on, like what's going on that it's so hard to be here right now? And is there something that I don't want to feel? As so I brought my attention more fully down in my body, really anchored my attention down. And what I discovered was that I had this, this ache in my side, kind of by my liver. And it was such an irritating kind of sensation. It was sharp and it was stabbing and it was so uncomfortable to sit with that I saw that my attention kept bouncing off of the sensation and I'd go up into the stories, up into the fantasies, anything than to just feel that sensation, which was really calling my attention. And it was so insightful in the sense of how in an in a, in a unconscious way, we may not, I might not even have known had I not had the intention and the interest to investigate what was happening that I couldn't stay present. And then I saw this, this tendency just to bounce right off my experience into the story, into the thought. And so I was able to then have a, use a stronger kind of determination to really stay present with the sensation feel it, breathe with it, and stay present. And then that really helped settle my um, mind, my restless mind, and my body, and I could stay more present with myself. So it can be a, a simple thing like that. It doesn't even have to be some kind of deep, buried, you know, hidden thing that we're caring about our past. You know, it can just be something very simple that we just don't want to feel in our body 
or some kind of emotion that we're not very comfortable with, sadness or hurt or loss. It's just this bringing this quality of interest. What's happening? Asking that question, what's happening? What's happening that I'm not able to be present right now? And then using a stronger sense of determination. So we learn how to be with discomfort. We learn how to be more present with this uh, aspect of our experience. Another possible cause is if we're making too much effort, we're pushing up against the experience, the energy is too directed, too willful, and then the energy doesn't really have room to move, we're not in balance, so we can kind of feel that inner agitation in our experience. And this can be mixed with a kind of unfulfilled desire. We're both rejecting our experience and we're not getting what we want. We're not really reaching the goal. So we can kind of be caught in this wanting, this craving. So the restlessness can come both from the rejection, the resistance, but it also can come from the desire, from the craving. And sometimes even when we get what we want, say we get the meditative experience that we want, I remember one time where I, you know, we practice and we practice and I, you know, to really get the mind quiet and, and, and get the mind to stop and then have things be very still, be concentrated. And I remember uh, one time, particularly when this happened, finally my mind got very quiet and stopped and very still. And then I got scared, right? It's like, oh, <laughs> now what? You know, and then I noticed that the fear arising and the agitation and the restlessness started coming back. So even if we get what we want, finally there still may be uh, this kind of response where we're not able to really uh, settle with what's happening. So these different ways that the restlessness comes about, and we need to be very attentive to the restlessness, primarily because since the energy is so difficult to be with, to stay present with, to feel, it can easily lead to a kind of discharge through our movement, through our action. So we may actually feel the impulse to get up or to leave or to start, you know, walking fast or to go get some food or to get a cup of tea or go back to the room. I mean, there's some way that the, this, this restlessness wants to move. It's very hard to sit still with it. And so we want to pay attention to the way that that's moving so that we're not just following the impulses of the restlessness, because this can actually interfere with our practice. We could even break the silence. Sometimes we discharge through the, through the talking because we need some kind of release. It's too difficult to stay with our experience. Break the precepts in some way. So, so again, we want to pay attention to how that energy is moving so that we're not just caught in the reactivity and the impulsiveness of this restlessness. 
So in working with the restlessness, just as the sleepiness needs the arousal of energy, the restlessness needs calm and steadiness, the calming and the steadiness. So in working with the restlessness, what we actually do, we want to do, rather than kind of trying to bear down on the experience through either focusing on the breathing or feeling the sensation, we actually want to create a wide container so of, with, our, with our awareness in the body so that we actually have a more open and spacious awareness so that the energy can move. It's like giving cows a wide pasture. They're happier than when they're penned in. And so in the same way, we want to see if we can open the awareness in a wider way so that this energy has a way to move through. Feeling the whole body and in, in a, in, is with as much stillness as we can. So sitting still, because again, the, the energy will want to move us to move into some kind of action. So seeing if we can sit still, open the awareness to feel the whole body. We don't have to bear down on a breath or focus too much on a breath. But yet at the same time, this gentle breathing, kind of rhythmic breathing, which is soothing, softening to this more restless, agitated energy. As we bring our attention into the breath, it also shifts the attention away from the mental activity, the worry and the restlessness. And we're having, we can just breathe more down into the body, breathing in kind of a soothing, calming way. This brings a softening of the mind, a softening of the body, a softening of the heart, can actually generate a quality of kindness and compassion to our experience. And again, being very watchful that we're not judging, we're not resisting as much as possible. And if we are including that in the field of awareness. So, so this calming, this steadying, not feeding, the restlessness with more movement and agitation. These ways of balancing our experience. And as we stay present with the, either the sleepiness or the restlessness, there's the possibility that we then can see and know the transitory nature of these experiences, that they come and they go. When they arise, we can get concerned that it's going to be like this forever, right? Where I'm going to be sleeping my whole retreat. I'm going to be restless the whole retreat. But again, we see that they arise, they pass, they come and they go. They're not so solid. And they're not all of who we are. This changing, passing experience, coming and going. We can remind ourselves that this too will pass. This too will pass. And this, this cultivates a quality of patience, kindness towards what's happening. And as we do that too, we can see that these experiences are not so personal. They're not so personal. I mean, we all have these experiences, these five difficult mind states. They're not so personal. But yet, because they come and they go, they arise and they pass, and yet, at the same time, understanding some of the causes and the conditions that give rise can help to break up those habitual tendencies 
those habits of mind so that we can be more free, we experience more ease, we experience more flexibility as we are going through the day. So these are two of the hindrances, and I actually had a lot more that I was going to say, and that's why I just wanted to do the two, because um, every one of them, there's, there's so much to say about each one, and I think that in the next week or so we'll be covering um, the first one, this, this craving or desire for uh, sensual pleasures and the aversion and the doubt so that we really can investigate more deeply and, and know how to overcome these difficult states. Okay, so let's just sit for a moment or two. Thank you for listening. To learn how you can support the teachers and Dharma Seed, please visit dharmaseed.org slash donate.